we're uh, we're in uh, chapter four this morning of First Corinthians. We discussed uh, part of this chapter, verses one through nine a. I think we just touched on nine a though. Um, what we uh, want to do is uh, review just a tad. Uh, the first five verses has to do with a true servant of Christ. What makes one a true servant of Christ? It's not uh, because uh, we say we are. It's because we're faithful uh, as servants. And then we uh, turn to conceit and humility, verses 6 to 13. Um, this is uh, an important aspect of New Testament Christianity as well. Uh, being uh, conceited or arrogant is uh, unbecoming of a child of God. If we, if we understand uh, what all has taken place in our lives, uh, we ought to be humble uh, because if we know what we ought to know is that God saved us and he, we didn't deserve it. <clears throat> our salvation is a gift. It's not something we earn. Is something that God gave us because he chose to. And I think if we truly understand that, uh, it's, uh, it's hard to be conceited. Humility is going to be more, uh, more in line with what we are to be. Let's read a few verses we went over last week so we'll get the context going. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? What do you do? Uh, what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it as a gift, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Why boast? Uh, if somebody gave you a, a million dollars and you boasted because you made yourself a millionaire, that would be a false boast. You didn't make yourself a millionaire. Somebody made you a millionaire. So what's the Christian got to boast of? Really, what do we have to boast of? Uh, what's been given to us has been a gift. We haven't earned it. It's just uh, by divine grace that we received it. But in Corinth, uh, they, were, they were boastful. Paul, he's writing, of course, to all the Corinthians, but it, it's obvious in the front of his mind he's talking specifically to the teachers uh, that they are, uh, they are acting in a way that's unbecoming of a child of God. You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. In their minds, they were full, rich, and reigning as kings. Uh, they, they, had, uh, they had topped out. They were in a position now where they could take their ease and be at peace in their soul because they made it to the top. That's the way they felt. They, they relied on themselves as having accomplished the things that's been accomplished in their lives. They've done it all, Paul said, without us, that is, the apostles. The condition of these men was very different from 
the condition of the apostles. And it's kind of strange. You got to wonder why is it that these men were full, rich, and reigning as kings, and the apostles were more like uh, paupers in society, uh, despised by men, whereas these men were honored as great men of God. Indeed, I could wish you did reign. In other words, you don't reign. You may think you do, but you don't. Uh, that plateau you're sitting on can be taken out from under you in a heartbeat. That's all up to the Lord. I could wish you did reign, because if you did, we also might reign with you. You feel like you reign. You think you're full. You think you're rich. But you're not. As Jesus told the church at Laodicea, in truth, you're naked. What you think is one thing, what you are is quite another. I think that God has displayed us, that is, the apostles, uh, last as men condemned to death. Uh, in the text here, Paul's going to get into uh, what was uh, uh, very popular at the time, I believe. Uh, it has to do with uh, the battles that were fought in the Colosseum. Uh, men, uh, they would have to fight animals, usually slaves, in particular Christians, at during period, different periods. Uh, they were put into the Colosseum arena, and they had to fight lions, tigers, bears, whatever. Uh, and then there would be other kind of battles that would be fought in the Colosseum. And then finally, it would be the gladiators. The gladiators would fight each other. Uh, when they were done, everybody would be dead except for one person because the battle was to the death. One man would come out alive. And this is what Paul, I believe, is alluding to. Uh, God has displayed us, the apostles. He saved us for last as men condemned to death. Everybody knew what was going to happen to the gladiators. They were all going to be dead in just a matter of a few hours. That was uh, uh, common knowledge. And Paul is saying that he and the others, uh, this was basically uh, their lot in life. They're condemned to death. They're serving the Lord, but ultimately uh, they, they will be condemned to death uh, when the time comes. Uh, the lives the apostles lived uh, were horrific lives. They didn't, uh, they didn't have uh, good times. Their life was a life of uh, much suffering. Uh, it was a life of doing without. They didn't go to Disney World or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, their lives were, were that of a pauper. Paul describes it uh, in more detail later on in the letter, what life for the apostles were like. Uh, and it was, a, it was a horrible, horrible life that they had to live. We, we hold them up as the cream of the crop, so to speak. But at the time when they lived, uh, they would have been considered uh, the scum of the earth. The way they lived, that's the way the scum of the earth would live. And that was Paul and the others' lot in life. It was very hard. It was very arduous. Uh, but they lived it. They lived it. And ultimately... 
these gladiators died uh, violent deaths, except for John the Apostle. We have been made a spectacle to the world. This word spectacle comes from the Greek theatron, which translates into our English as theater, okay? They are performers in a theater. And uh, this is where the games come in. Uh, this is why I think Paul's alluding to uh, the Colosseum and uh, the battles that were fought in this arena. Uh, the apostles, of course, would be the last to come out uh, in, a, in a figurative sense. They would fight one another until the death, and one survived, and that one, of course, would be John, the apostle. But that was their destiny, and everybody knew it. While they lived, uh, their clothes were worn and ragged. They were holy and threadbare. They, uh, they looked like bums. I've imagined a lot of times what Paul uh, must have looked like. Uh, his, uh, the man who lived contemporary to him uh, said he had a big nose, a long nose, and he was bald-headed. And he wasn't big, he was a small man. And uh, I could just imagine Paul uh, in his tattered clothing, uh, nowhere to lay his head. He, he didn't own anything. Uh, when he went into a town, uh, I seen a guy one time, I don't remember where it was, but he was, uh, he was preaching. It was in some city somewhere. And he was uh, standing there preaching on a corner. And he was preaching at the, at the top of his voice. And I, I stood there for a while and watched him. And people come by and, you know, most made fun of him. Uh, some of them gave him a, a dollar or something. And there was a few scattered around like I was that was listening to what the man had to say. And uh, I thought about uh, Paul and the others going into a town or a village and standing there on a corner preaching the gospel and people looking at him and, and uh, making fun of him, especially the Greeks. The Greeks would have thought that a bunch of nonsense. You know, he's talking about raising people from the dead. That ain't going to happen. And then you had the Jews, of course, who thought that the Messiah would come on a white charger and deliver uh, Israel from uh, Roman bondage. Uh, the things that Paul would have been talking about would have seemed so weird to most of the people. But there were a few that stopped and would listen to what he had to say. Uh, he would do his business in that town and then he would move on to another. Uh, very poor man. Uh, nothing elegant about him. Uh, I, I suppose very homely as his contemporaries say, uh, he looked like the scum of the earth. But uh, we know him today as Paul the Apostle. In our eyes, he shines. At the time, he didn't shine at all. He was, uh, he was a nut, the way most would have looked at him. In 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verses 30 and 31, he's talking about the resurrection, of course. Uh, <clears throat> most refer to that as the resurrection chapter. Uh, and he's, there are those who deny that there's going to be a resurrection. 
And Paul raises the question, well, why do we stand in jeopardy every hour if there is no resurrection? Why would we do this? That doesn't even make sense. And it doesn't make sense. Why would anybody live like they lived if there wasn't a resurrection? That would be crazy. You know, if you're getting rich or something like that, that's a different story. You know, if you can build a great crystal cathedral and things like that, that's a different story. But if you wind up with the same thing you came into town with, why put yourself through all the misery? You know, why would you do that? And that's the question he raises. Why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? But you want to keep in mind what he says. Uh, we're in jeopardy every hour. There seemed to be no peace for the man. He was constantly under attack. He was constantly being berated in a variety of different ways. Uh, it, was a, it was a horrible, horrible life. And he's, he's, he's trying to get through to the Corinthians. You know, you're full. You're rich. You reign as kings. Look at how the apostles live. They're the scum of the earth. And compared to you, uh, there's nothing to them at all. Would that be the case? Would that be true? Would that be God's arrangement for his people? Uh, it just doesn't seem right. Not logically, it doesn't seem right. I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. Every day he was prepared for death, and every day there's a part of him that died. Uh, I suppose through the various types of suffering he had to go through, including uh, the weight of all the churches that weighed down on his shoulders. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. There's a difference. They looked at Paul, people did, and they saw a fool. They looked at the preachers in the Corinthian church, and they seen wise men. The fool versus the wise men. Well, why was Paul a fool? Well, he was a fool because of what he said, what he believed. Why were the Corinthian teachers and preachers, why were they considered to be wise? They probably went along with the status quo. They, they taught what people wanted to hear taught. So the, the elite in Corinth would have considered them to be wise men, endowed with great knowledge. Paul, on the other hand, the scum of the earth, just the scum of the earth. We are fools, but you, you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, and we are dishonored. We're the opposite of you. It's not because the apostles had it hard and the other preachers had it much, 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 much easier. It's because of the way people responded to each. The preachers and the teachers, they were, they were good guys. They were one of us. The apostles, they were, they were weird. They talked about weird things. To the present, we, the apostles, we both, you gotta remember, keep it in context, he's talking about the apostles. To the present hour, we both hunger and we thirst. We are poorly clothed, we're beaten, and we are homeless. And in addition to that, we labor for the Lord, obviously, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, 
And being persecuted, we endure. We put up with it. I, I can't imagine how hard it was to put up with it. Uh, my instincts that I've tried to bury for a lot of years uh, would have been retaliation. But uh, these men, they came under uh, so much, uh, and they just had to bite their tongue and endure it. They had to put up with it because they served the Lord. Being defamed, uh, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the scum of the world, the scum of the earth, and the offscoring of all things until now. The filth, literally, the filth would be uh, when you take a broom and you sweep up your floor and you get a little pile together, that's the filth that he's alluding to. We're that stuff. The scum would be if uh, you took a, a detergent of some sort and you rub down the, your countertops and you, you kind of wipe stuff in one direction and finally over in that one direction you get crumbs and you get some crud. Uh, the various oils and liquids that came out of your foods, they, they kind of accumulate in one corner as you wipe them over. Uh, that's the offscoring. Uh, they were, that's what people said, Paul said people looked at them like. They were just filth, offscoring of all things, even until this day. Okay, now uh, we go on to where we're supposed to be. Uh, the ministry of the apostles, the marks of a spiritual father. I do not write these things to shame you. They should have been ashamed. But Paul says, that wasn't my purpose. I know you're ashamed, but that wasn't my intent. That's not why I wrote. As my beloved children, I'm trying to warn you. He looked at them as his own children. And uh, all preachers and teachers can relate to that. Um, the people you uh, you teach, especially those uh, you raise up in Christ, uh, they become like your own children. You have a, uh, you have a special vestment in these people. You know, uh, we, we all have children, but you love your children more than you love mine. And there's a reason for that. Uh, you've invested your time, your energy, and your money in your children. You've been there when they've made bad decisions. You've been there when they, they got hurt. Uh, you were there when uh, they threw their arms around your neck and said, I love you. Uh, you were there for all that for a number of years. You weren't around my kids that way. You've got a much stronger attachment to your children than you do mine, and naturally you would because you, you were so close to them while you raised them. And the same thing is true uh, with preachers or teachers. They, they have an investment. They've invested themselves in the lives of other people. Uh, teachers, uh, teachers teach because they want to help the taught. They study. They think. They try to figure out a way to get this point across where their students will understand. 
they nurture them, they admonish them, and the longer this goes on, the more teacher slash preacher gets to the, their students. And it becomes, uh, since it is a family, it becomes more of a father-child relationship. Uh, this, is, uh, this is only natural. John the Apostle, uh, he frequently uh, said when he wrote to those whom he knew uh, how much he loved his children. That was those, of course, that he had been involved with uh, raising up in Christ. And the same thing happens uh, uh, with people today. Uh, I do not write these things to shame you. You're my beloved children. I love you as my children. And I don't want to have to shame you, even though I had to shame you. That wasn't my purpose. My purpose was to warn you, you're in trouble. And you're going to have to straighten up and apply right, or you're going to suffer the consequences of your bad decisions. Though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, many, many, many teachers have come and gone over the years, but you do not have many fathers. Paul was the one that brought them to Christ. Paul was the one that led them to Christ. Uh, Paul was with them for 18 months, which at that time was a very long time for a man like Paul to stay with people. And uh, he became uh, very attached to these people. You've got a lot of people who have taught here and there and yonder, but you've only got one who begot you, and that was me, okay? He had, uh, he had the father mentality towards these folks. In Christ Jesus, I am the one who had begotten you through the gospel. He doesn't say he saved them. He did it through the gospel. He was the instrument. What saved them, of course, was the gospel. Paul was the instrument that brought the gospel to them. And because they heard the gospel and believed the gospel, they could be saved. Uh, but he was the tool God used to get through to those people. You got God. One thing I don't know if you're familiar with, Jewish mentality uh, back at the time. God created Adam. Now you go forward 6,000 years and you've got a father and a son. There's me and there's Chris, okay, father and a son, me and there's Amanda. Now the way the Jews looked at it was like this, the reason they respected their elders so much. The children would look at the father as being a generation closer, generation closer to God, okay? They, they're a generation farther from God than I am, and this is the way the Jews thought of it. And the fathers were honored because they were one generation closer to the Lord and creation. Uh, it was something that went on, and fatherhood was uh, very important among the Jews, and even today, at least among those who are religious, which is a minority, <laughs> uh, they, they still uh, put great emphasis on their father because of their relationship to the Creator. Therefore, since I have begotten you through the gospel, I urge you, imitate me. Do as I do. Not just as I say, do as I do. Most of the time we say, don't do what I do, you do what I say. That's what the father says to his son. Paul says, do what I say, but also do what I do. Uh, he lived what he preached, and therefore they could follow his example 
as a teacher. What's he just showed them? He showed them the difference between their teachers and the apostles. Now, everybody knew it shouldn't be that way. If anybody was going to be rich, full, and reign as a king, it would have been the apostles. But they don't. They live like slaves. Why? It's because they're going to reign in the afterlife. They're going to sit on the 12 thrones, remember? And reign in the afterlife. Their honors will be bestowed upon them once they're dead, but not while they're alive. While they're alive, they're going to be appear to be the scum of the earth that carries the good news of Jesus Christ to them. So what about the preachers and teachers at Corinth? Something's wrong, and everybody would know that. That become obvious. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways in Christ. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Notice it's Paul's ways, but as they are in Christ. His ways were the ways of Christ. Now, as I teach everywhere in every church, that's a very simple little statement, but what it's teaching us is that Paul taught one doctrine in every church. Doctrines did not vary from church to church to church. There are people who say that there were different denominations. These various congregations were various denominations. Well, according to Paul, that's not the case at all. According to Paul, he taught one message wherever he went, went in every church he established or preached in. There was one gospel, and that was the gospel he preached. All the churches had the same doctrine. Doctrine is teaching, the teaching. Uh, and the doctrine that the churches had was the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the doctrine that we have today. Sometimes they talk about creeds. The word creed means I believe. And the Presbyterians have a creed. The Methodists have a creed. So on and so forth. Everybody's got a creed. That is what they believe. It's a book. A book separate and apart from the Bible. With the Methodist, for example, it's called Methodist Discipline. That's their creed book. If a Methodist wants to know what to do, he doesn't necessarily go to the Bible. He goes to the creed book, the discipline, because in there is condensed version of all the things they're supposed to do. Well, the Christian has a creed as well, but our creed is the New Testament of Jesus Christ, or the covenant of Jesus Christ, however you want to say it. That's our creed book. Now, sometimes we condense our beliefs in order to make it easy to read and understand. But we may do that and put it in a bulletin so people can see what churches of Christ believe and they got this very condensed version of it, but that's not our creed book, okay? Our creed book remains the New Testament of Jesus Christ uh, and that's the only creed we have. 
this is what sets us apart from denominations, uh, where each denomination has a creed that explains the differences between that particular denomination and another denomination. What we have is the covenant of Christ. And that's all we have. It's all we need. Uh, we don't have anything else or anything different. Uh, and that's what Paul preached. He basically he's saying, I'm pre I preached the same creed in every church I went to. So all the churches had the same creed. It's not hard to understand what the man's saying. Uh, what did he teach? He taught my ways, the ways that he practiced. He taught my ways, which are in Christ. Uh, he was so... Uh, he was so in tune with Christ that the way Paul lived was a living testament of Jesus Christ, okay? So he could say things like that. Uh, follow me, imitate me, follow my ways because they are in Christ. What you see me do is what the covenant of Christ would have you to do. I teach this everywhere in every church. In Jude, verse 3, Jude said, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. Not for faith. I know it seems petty, but that article is very important because there's only one, and it's the faith. He's talking about um, the covenant, or the creed, if you will. That's what the faith stands for. Contend earnestly for the New Testament of Jesus Christ, which was once and for all delivered to the saints, given to the saints by God. Uh, it occurred one time, and it's for all. Maybe all people, maybe all time, maybe both. Uh, both is satisfying to me at least, but uh, that's the point. There's only one teaching. If there's only one teaching, that means that all other teachings are false. They're not true. They can't save. They won't save. And that's sad. That's very, very, very sad. We have to teach what we know to be true. In Ephesians 4, 3 through 6, Paul talks about endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. The churches are supposed to be unified, not separated by creeds. Ephesians 4, 3 through 6, there is one body, which is the church. There is one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, in you all. We know that Christ is head of the church, and every head has one body. <clears throat> the church is the body of Christ, who is the head over his church. Today, you know, it's people don't like to hear this. 
and I understand it. If I was a member of a denomination, I'd probably feel the same way. But this is what God said. This is what he has taught us. This is the way things are. And we have to be able to teach those who need teaching while we have an opportunity to do so. Because the final outcome of disobedience will be destruction. And that's not good at all. Now, some are puffed up there at Corinth as though I were not coming to you. Uh, I think the teachers were saying Paul was afraid to come to Corinth. He didn't want to face them face to face. He didn't want to have to do battle with them. These men were puffed up. They were the rich, the fool, those who reigned as kings. For one reason or another, Paul was unable to get back to Corinth. And because he was unable, some were saying he's afraid to come. You know, he doesn't want to come. He doesn't want to meet us face to face. He's a coward. He's not a man. The teachers were saying, I didn't know I had that. Paul is unreliable, undependable. He is not an apostle of Christ. This is what's taught in other passages. This was the mind of the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 9, 1-3 and 2 Corinthians 12 and 10. He was an unreliable man. He was undependable. And he's not really an apostle. We're apostles, but Paul is not an apostle. We're the real deal. He is fickled. He is indecisive, 2 Corinthians 1 and 17. His bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. He talks like a commoner. Well, he did that on purpose, you know. Paul uh, had the degrees. He had the intellect. He could speak with anybody at their level. He was qualified to do so. I have no idea what his vocabulary, the number of his words he could say, but uh, whatever he was capable of, he didn't use it. He did like Jesus did, and he spoke street Greek, the language of the people. Uh, that's the whole purpose of teaching. If you can't get what you want to say across where people can understand it, what good have you done? You, know, you, you can talk with words this big, you know, coming and going. Those words exist. They're out there. But if you use all those big words and everybody's sitting there, you know, kind of brain dead, trying to not fall asleep right in front of your face, and you rattle off all these words, you get done, nobody knows what you say. What good was it? What, what good did you do? Well, they did no good at all, obviously. So Paul, he talked where people would understand him, as did our Lord. Uh, they wanted to be understood, and now they're making fun of him because of his speech. I will come to you shortly, he's saying, if the Lord allows it. I will come to you shortly. Paul had lived long enough with the Lord by now that he knew everything was conditioned on the will of God. If God is willing I'll come. I'm ready to come. I'm, I'm chomping on the bit to come. 
but I've got to wait until the Lord is ready for me to come. And I will know at that time, not the word of those big mouth preachers who are puffed up, what they claim, what they say about themselves. No, that's not what I'm coming for. I don't want to hear their doctrine. I'm coming because I want to see their power. There's such a thing as the power of the apostles. This is how people knew when a man was truly an apostle. Uh, there were nine signs, or nine gifts rather, that the Holy Spirit uh, was able to distribute to people. To the apostles, he gave all nine gifts. They had all of them. Uh, other people, like John Mark, for example, he may have been given a gift. Timothy may have been given a gift, maybe two gifts. Uh, we don't know because nobody says. But they were only given gifts by an apostle. The apostles, on the other hand, were given their gifts by the Spirit of God. He gave them their gifts, and he gave them all the gifts. And that's what Paul's referring to here in 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs, in wonders, and in mighty deeds. If these rascals at Corinth were really apostles, then they would have these signs. They would be able to prove it. Paul said, I don't care what they say. I want to see what kind of power they got. That's how we're going to know if they're telling the truth or if they're lying. I'm not afraid to come to Corinth. It's those men who better be afraid. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. The only thing Paul did uh, that they may have taken uh, injury to was the fact that he didn't allow them to support him monetarily. The kingdom of God is not in word. That would be word of, of claims or boastings, but in power. The power reveals who is truly a man of God. At that time, such was the case. Well, what do you want now? Shall I come to you with a rod? Shall I come in the church with my rod and spank you? Or shall I come in love and the spirit of gentleness? That's up to you at Corinth. That depends on how I find you when I arrive. If you're acting then like you're acting now, Paul's going to use that rod. But if they repent of their sinful ways, he can come in love and a spirit of gentleness. Uh, I remember uh, before I become a Christian what my opinion was of a preacher. Uh, little sissy man is what I thought. Men who uh, never stood up for themselves, never spoke up for themselves. Uh, mealy miley kind of guys uh, who rolled over for everybody. Uh, I didn't know anything, of course. Uh, I had almost no respect for them because I, I thought of them as being a, a cowardly lot. Uh, but after you, you study, say, the life of Christ or the life of Paul or the life of John, 
uh, Peter, you find out that that wasn't what these fellows were like at all. They were lions. They were, they were strong. Uh, they stood on the ground. They stood on. They had it covered. Uh, and they feared no man. Uh, it, was, it was very different, at least, than what my impression of a preacher used to be. Uh, now I think it's, uh, it's much more in line with the truth. And uh, I'm glad I learned that. Are we bringing people back now? Well, we might as well stop and take up a chapter five. I can remember that easy. Are there any questions over what we talked about? I have a hard time raising my head up. You ever see me trying to shave? I have a real hard time. <laughs> okay, we'll uh, we'll stop here then.